We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is to hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. to another episode of What the World Needs More of. I am joined by special guest Mike Robbins. Robbins, that is correct. Uh, I'm sure it's my brother from another mother in some way, <laughs> shape, form, or universe. So, sir, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Good to connect. Now, just for clarity's sake, we're not related as far as we know. <laughs> right, right. As far as we know. As far as we know, we're not. But we do share the, the similar family name there, and that's yes. okay. We're both cool about it because he's a great yes. guy up in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> but, Mike, to dive right in, here is the question. What do you believe the world needs more of? Empathy. Hmm. I think, uh, especially right now, with all the division and vitriol that we see around in the world in different places here in the United States and around the world. I just think more empathy, more connection, you know, understanding of one another, um, walking in each other's shoes. Mm. I love that. And how do you bring that more into the world each day? Well, a lot of my work focuses on the power and importance of vulnerability. And I've always believed that, and, and the research shows this too, that the natural human response to vulnerability is empathy. And so what I try to do in my life, and I, you know, sometimes find myself successful at this and other times I fail at it miserably, is to open my heart up as much as I can, you know, at home with my wife, Michelle, and our girls, Samantha and Rosie, and in my work and just try to, you know, be as real and, and vulnerable as I can, because that, first of all, just liberates me from all of the unnecessary pressure I've tried to put on myself over the years from being perfect and great and exceptional at things, which I think is, you know, a lot of us who are high achievers can fall into that trap. Um, and I also try as best I can, you know, to connect with other people and listen, try to hear their stories and where they're coming from, even and especially when they're different. And I think one of the challenges I find with that in today's world is for myself and many people around me, I see is, you know, sometimes I got to put the phone down or step away from the computer or whatever device or screen I may be in front of and actually, you know, connect with someone eye to eye and heart to heart wherever I may be in the world. And that's, uh, at times it's a simple thing, but it's easier said than done. Mm. I really believe so. I, I think another thing, depending on where you live and who you're around, um, if you're around a pocket of people who are very similar, mm -hmm. w w what's interesting is our brain tends to go, oh, I get who they are. And then it yes. stops listening and tries to go on to the next thing instead of realizing there's, like you said, everyone has a story. Everyone's unique. Everyone has their own magic. Um, you, you just have to pay attention long enough to, to make sure your brain doesn't kick into autopilot and go, oh, yeah, there are this. And then you just move on. <laughs> it's true. And even with people, I think that's absolutely true. And even with people that we know, 
you know, my wife, Michelle, and I have been together for 18 years and we've been married for 13. And I remember right before we got married, you know, we've been together for a while, almost five years. And so we knew each other quite well, but we were working with a counselor who was just kind of supporting us and coaching us and sort of ushering us through the process as we were making the commitment to get married. And she said to us, I challenge you to make a commitment to one another to never fully know each other. And I remember her saying that and I was like, well, isn't the whole point here that we really already know each other and we get to know each other and we're like, that's why we're getting married. And she was like, yeah, but she said, Mike, if you think you know Michelle, like you know her, then you put her in a box and that's just how she is. And she can't be any other way. And she'll do the same to you. And she's like, this is what couples often fall into the trap of doing and unbeknownst to them, it's sort of unconscious we do this. And she said, but if you make a commitment to never fully knowing this woman, allowing her to be different, allowing yourself to be surprised and amazed and in awe of aspects of her that you continue to get to know over the course of your life and your marriage, that's a really extraordinary thing to do. And I remember her saying that and Michelle and I both reflecting on it. And now even, you know, 18 years into this thing, reminding ourselves and each other of that from time to time, because it is easy to think, well, I know this person. I've just spent this number of years with them. And again, we do that with friends, family, but we also do it with people that we meet, as you're saying, and we put people into boxes. Hmm. It's so true. It's so true. And I, I think maybe getting to know more about you and your experience will tell us how you've kind of developed this over the years. So I would love to know what do you feel your wow factor is? What do you feel makes you uniquely you? And what's one or two moments over the lifetime that help shape it? Hmm. Those, those are good questions. I mean, I think the, you know, the wow factor, huh? I think it's more, um, just me, like my, my heart, my, my humanity, if you will. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that really shaped my life um, is growing up, how I grew up and where I grew up. I, my, my folks split up when I was three. I grew up in Oakland, California, here in the San Francisco Bay Area where I still live. And I was raised by my mom, single mom, raised me and my older sister. And, you know, I mean, that, that in and of itself posed some challenges over the course of, of my life. My dad and I were in touch for a few years, sort of every other weekend. And my dad had bipolar disorder, which I didn't understand as a kid what the heck that meant. I just knew that, like, he would lose his job or he would get, my mom would say he would get depressed, which I also didn't understand what that meant. But I just knew he wasn't around. And by the time I was about seven, he wasn't around hardly at all. He was sort of in and out of hospitals and halfway houses and mental institutions. And it was, you know, it was, again, I started, as I got older, I started to understand a little bit more of what this meant. And I, there was some shame and some embarrassment about it. Um, yet at the same time I was in school and growing up in Oakland and going to public schools and inner city schools as I got into junior high and high school, I was this white kid, um, who was in the minority in the environment that I was. You know, and it's not that normal in the world that we live in, particularly here in the U.S., to be straight and white and male and be in the minority. And it wasn't just like I was in the minority for like, oh, I was at an event and I was one of the only white people. It was like, you know, I played on the basketball team in high school as a junior and was, you know, the only white kid on the team and the only white kid in the league. And what what I ultimately realize about those experiences, and there are a few of those kind of in there from my childhood and through adolescence, was they were humbling and, and 
at times kind of scary and disorienting in certain ways. But back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago, it gave me a lot of empathy and understanding for, you know, I don't know what it's like to be other people, don't know what it's like to look different than I do or be different than I am, of course. But I think a number of those challenging and painful experiences from my childhood and into adolescence got me to a place that I can now as an adult at 44 years old, look back and go, oh, I think that gives me some sense of awareness and capacity to have empathy for people who are different than me or go through things that may either be difficult or challenging or painful. Even if I don't fully understand the experience, I I feel like part of the wow factor to your question is about me being able to connect with and understand lots of different types of people who are going through lots of different types of circumstances and situations. Mm -hmm. It's true. Empathy normally shows up when we've been through something. And, yeah. and I think it was three or four episodes ago, we talked about a, a friend of mine from high school we grew up with where, where she was sharing with me her experience. And she's like, you know, high school wasn't that great. Like people yeah. used to pick on me and tease me and do all kinds of stuff. And she she immigrated with her family from Brazil as a kid. And, yeah. and so one thing she said that was beautiful is turning friends in the family was one of her major skill sets she had to learn how mm. to do just for survival. Yeah. Um, and, and along that path, though, you know, just recently, the, a couple of years ago, she she's a second time mother, but the first time she actually has been able to mother the child because the first one was a full term pregnancy where the child died right before it was born. Oh. And she was talking about the concept of if you've never been to that depth of life and you mm. can say it's pain, you can say it's hurt, you can say it's frustration or anger or whatever it is. If you've never really experienced that depth, it's hard to empathize with someone who is going through it because like most people will say, what do you say to them? I'm sorry, right. or it's going to be okay. I don't know, yeah. you've never been there. Versus right. if you've been there, you can look that person deep in the soul and, and say, hey, I've been there, I'm alive, you'll be alive yeah. too. And yeah. There's something very special about that. There really is. And I think with that, especially with really painful loss and, and grief, um, you know, both of my parents have passed away. My sister Lori died two and a half years ago of cancer at the age of 45. Hmm. And, you know, my dad died when I was 27. My mom died when I was 37. When my sister died, I was 41. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the only surviving member of my nuclear family at the age of 44. And one of the things that I've learned through my own experience with grief is the journey that I've gone through. And I think many people go through when we lose someone close is, you know, there's a unique quality to it because that relationship and that dynamic, my relationship with my father, my relationship with my mother, my relationship with my sister was each of those were unique and they had their challenges and their pain points and they had lots of love and connection and all the different aspects of it. And what's interesting is that I've also been fascinated by in my own journey of healing through those losses, how people react. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and it's hard because I don't think, at least here in the United States, I can only speak for our culture here because this is where I grew up. We do not do a very good job of learning how to grieve or supporting people through grief. Um, it's just, it's, it's scary. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's like, what do you say? What do you, there's a few rituals, but for the most part, our world is so oriented around 
beauty and production and youth and results and all these things that like death is seen as the ultimate failure in a way. And it's also something that brings up a ton of emotion and a lot of unresolved emotion for people if they've gone through it in some cases and for other people, maybe they haven't gone through it. And that's, what's interesting, even to the story you shared about your friend and losing a baby at full term. I think it's sometimes hard for people to be with that experience, especially if they haven't gone through it. But what I think is often most needed. And I know for me, when I was going through my own journeys of grief is just people who could hold enough space for me and for that experience, not tell me it's going to be okay. Not even tell me they could relate and understand even if they've gone through it, but just be able to hold the space for whatever I was experiencing in that moment. Um, and it's not easy because again, we're all different and we're all unique in our different ways. I had a friend who wrote a book called there's no good card for this. And it was basically like she had a friend who got cancer when they were both in college and she didn't know what to say or what to do. And then many years later, she went through cancer herself and realized, wow, people are really weird and don't know what to say and do. And there are a lot of experiences in life, really painful ones that we're not prepared to deal with necessarily in our own experience. And we're often not we don't feel all that comfortable or safe or confident in trying to support others. And that goes back to, I think, the importance of vulnerability and empathy. Sometimes the best thing we can say is, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to, I just, I love you. I'm here. I gotcha. You know, just like fumble through the process, but just let them know you matter to me and I'm here for you, whatever that means. And that might even mean you saying, get the hell away from me right now. <laughs> you know, it's true. It's true. And and it's creating that space. Um, it, it's interesting how people find that space. Even if, if if you have a friend that can create it, if you if you're able to create space like that for people, uh, that that's wonderful. And and I've heard there's so many different pieces to this puzzle because sometimes people who are really good at creating space can land up being not so great on the other side of it only because now they're depleted. Yeah. <laughs> you get kind of the not so great version of them. And, exactly. and so they have to pick and choose who and where and when they can hold space for people. Uh, yep. One thing that she mentioned that was so silly yet applicable and interesting. She said the way that they found space was by actually starting to play uh, Pokemon go on their phone. <laughs> and as silly yep. as this sounds, it got them out of the house without having to talk about their pain. Yeah. And they just walked around parks and went and found some cute little monster they're trying to capture. And it gave them an ability and a purpose to get out of the house and get in the sunshine and walk and move and breathe and be. Yeah. yeah. And and there's something special about that. I remember as a kid, my dad told me, he says, you know, and I asked him, I'm like, how do you know when you're successful? And he said, you know, one day you'll be able to sit down in a chair and not have to do anything. Mm. You'll just be able to be. Mm. I was like, ooh, that's yeah. interesting. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, sure. I think, yeah. Like I, was, I think I was 15, so I had no clue what that meant. I was like, great, now I'm going to go do something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, wow, that is powerful. Like when you can sit there and every ounce of your soul says, hey, I've, I've done what I need to do, and if I get another day to do it tomorrow, wonderful. And if today's the last one, I'll high-five myself on the way out. Yeah. That's there, a special place to get to first in your own skin, yeah. And second, if I'm hearing you right, the ability to provide that space for others. Because like you said, 
there are no real transition rituals. There's funerals and, and wakes and different things, but, but there's no ritual where everyone can connect and knows what to do. There's no process that we all go through together to help right. that person emerge the other side and know that we, they're cared for and they're seen and they're understood and they're appreciated and they're loved no matter how they're showing up. Um, yeah. It's, it's powerful. It's a great, great, great gift if you have the ability to create space to give it to others. Um, and if not, and if you need that kind of vulnerability, I, I guess play Pokemon Go and get outside. <laughs> I have no, no affiliation to them, but it seems yeah. to work for some. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to do what works. And, you know, it's I think that on the space holding thing, too, it's also I think of something that I heard Oprah Winfrey say a few years ago that really touched me about this. And she was I often think about this in the context of appreciating people and really valuing people. But, you know, she said, you know, I've interviewed everybody in my career, right? I've interviewed presidents and prime ministers and celebrities and children and criminals and people who've gone through tragedies. And, you know, you name the type of person. She said, I've interviewed them. She said, after all these years and all these interviews, she said, do you know that just about every single person asks me some version of the same question when the interview's over? Camera shuts off, the interview's over, they lean over and they say, was that okay? Or how was that? Some version of that, like, how'd I do? Was that okay? You know, like, and she said, you know, early in my career, I used to be really confused by this question because I'd be sitting across from someone who's very successful and accomplished. And I'd be wondering to myself, like, are they really that insecure? Like, do they really need my validation? Like, why are they asking me if that was okay or how they did? She goes, then I realized something. They're not actually asking me how they did. She said, you know what they're really asking? Did you see me? Mm -hmm. Did you hear me? Did what I say matter to you. Mm -hmm. And she said, and I agree with her, everybody's asking those questions, right? We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to know not just what we say, but who we are, like the story that we've lived, the life that we're living, the experience that we're having in the moment, that it matters. And, and the challenge I think for us in life and our relationships with the people that matter to us most, and even people that we just interact with as we're moving through the world especially with the pace at which we live these days, the way we communicate all of the different devices and things that we have that can grab our attention. It's like, can we show up in life and really see people and hear people and let them know that they matter? And can we also surround ourselves as best as possible with people who see us and hear us and let us know that we matter? Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful gift to be able to give and like you said, receive as well. Yeah, for sure. That's powerful. That's powerful. Here's a question. What's a moment that made you feel incredibly humble along your journey? Hmm. There's been a many, many moments. Um, I, so I was an athlete in high school, um, and I played baseball, um, I was in my, I was a senior in high school. I was in my American government class and the phone rang in the portable skyline high school in Oakland. And Mr. Richter picked up the phone and, uh, with a very serious look on his face, he says, Mike Robbins, you have to go to the office. And I was like, that was weird. Like, and I go up to the office. I sort of start running up to the office. Cause the way he looked, I thought like, did something bad happen? Something weird. And I walk into the office and, uh, the secretary is standing there by the phone and she's got tears in her eyes. And I think immediately my, one of my parents or one of my grandparents, something, something must have happened. And I get on the phone and it's my mom letting me know that the New York Yankees had just called and said that they had drafted me. 
And I was like, you know, and all these people are in the office and they're like cheering and hugging me. And it was kind of this like overwhelming experience. And I go back to class and Mr. Richter had told the whole class what happened and everybody's all excited. And there was just this moment of like, you know, I played baseball since I was seven years old and I was good at it. I'd gotten a lot of recognition and, you know, but there was just this like, oh my God, the New York Yankees drafted me. Like that's insane. Like I couldn't even fully comprehend the, you know, the experience of it, I, I ended up, um, yeah. So that moment was just like this overwhelming kind of humbled moment for me. I, I didn't end up signing a contract with the Yankees cause I got a chance to play baseball in college at Stanford. Um, so I went there and, and ended up getting a chance to play professionally with the Kansas city Royals after Stanford. And, uh, unfortunately got injured, hurt my pitching arm toward ligaments in my elbow when I was in the minor leagues. So my baseball career ended somewhat abruptly, but that moment, as you just asked me that question of being humbled, that's the one that popped into my mind. I love it. It's a, like you said, a humbling moment to be seen for someone yeah. to see you, to notice you, to acknowledge you so much so to, to toss a contract on the table and bring you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. Extreme version of being seen. They saw you and they wanted yes. you. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. Just, just before we got on this podcast, someone had sent a note about something to me and I, I forwarded it on to someone on my team and I just said, they were asking for something or, Hey, we'd love to do this with you. And my response was, man, it does feel really good to be seen and to be wanted. You know, there is something about that. And I think, you know, we have to discern, of course, on things that make sense and, and feel good and are aligned with our goals and all that stuff. But there is something incredibly powerful about that on multiple levels, I think, for us as human beings. I know for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for people listening, it's one of the most powerful gifts you can give to people is, yeah. is noticing where they're, they're strong or noticing where they're, they're beautiful or noticing where they're loving or caring and and create space, see them for that and, and the, what they can add and then create space for them to be able to share that. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. I've heard it said with older men specifically, uh, normally there's one thing that they're really locked on in their life and that's the only thing they're interested in. Most of us, if you've ever sat down with a, an older man and you get him going on whatever topic he's interested in, you notice they will tell you the same story for the 107th time <laughs> uh, with no shame because they're very passionate about it and they want to make sure yes. that you know. Yes. And, and in that, though, what's beautiful is if you can see them for that and acknowledge them and appreciate them, you give them a gift that they, yeah. they don't often get to experience, which is someone seeing what they feel their greatest gift to, to the world is and someone appreciating them for that greatest gift. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. It's it's amazing. Here's my next question for you. What has been an awe-inspiring moment along the journey? Hmm. Oh God, again, so many. I I think. Um, I mean, maybe somewhat related to the story you shared earlier about your friend. I I think of you know our girls. Samantha is 12 now, and Rosie, our younger daughter, is just about to turn 10. Um, and when Samantha was born, um, I mean, like most people, I, at that point in my life, I'd never been, uh, in the room when a baby was born. I'd never experienced that. And obviously never, we'd never had a baby ourselves. Um, but the whole experience of that and being with Michelle through the entire pregnancy and just watching and, and Michelle gave birth, um, 
naturally, which again, I didn't know much about even the whole birthing process, but to see the way that the human body, particularly the female body is designed in this incredibly miraculous way. I just was like, so blown away by that entire experience that, you know, it, I mean, it was one of the most spiritual and awe-inspiring experiences of my life. I've heard that. I've heard that stuff works in ways a man can never imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and once I your thought... mind has been stretched to new proportions, it will never go back. You cannot yes. unsee it. <laughs> yes. Well, and but it's just it's like one I, of the most beautiful I... moments of life. Right. And I thought I had some appreciation for life and for the human body, the female body in particular. And there was just a way in which it's funny. I was just reading some things to Samantha. I wrote a bunch of notes and, and letters and tried to capture as much of that experience as I could when it was happening, because I had a feeling like I will remember, but there will be things about it that I'll forget. And I remember her saying to me, you know, as I was sharing some of this with her recently, and she's like, I don't know if I want to hear all this yet, dad. But I was like talking about the, just the awe that I had for, for her mom, for Michelle, and just for the whole experience of it. How beautiful. What a neat gift to, to share as well. With the, the power of capturing those little special moments. Yeah. Um, I don't remember where I read it, but I remember reading a book that said, it, it talked about at every major stage, whether it's a birthday or an accomplishment or something special, to write a little letter to yes. your child and keep it. And yeah. give it to them when they get married or give it to them when they're you know 18. And all of a sudden it becomes this treasured gift of all the little special moments captured in little notes and letters. And it sounds like you're practicing something of the sort, which is amazing. Well, one thing that I do on that front, I had a friend of mine share with me that he wrote a letter every year on, on his daughter's birthday and that his plan was to give, give them to her as she went off to college when she, you know, left home at 18, assuming that's what she did. And I had planned to do that, but then, I'm so verbal. I mean, I do write a lot, but I like to talk more than write. And so I decided that I was going to record an audio, which is now turned into some videos for each of my girls on their birthdays every year with reflections on that year of their life. Um, you know, things that came up that year, memories, whatever, just because I would remember it as they're turning four and five and six. And as they get older, there'll be lots of things that I forget. So they don't know this yet, but at some point, and whether it's when they go off to college or at some point in their, you know, life that I'll be able to give them here are these audio and video files that you can have and, you know, snapshots of each year of your life. Um, so, I, you know, hopefully they'll appreciate that. I've, I've been having fun creating them and I just think it's such a neat way to reflect on, you know, so many things happen in life. And as parents, I mean, for me as a parent, there's, there's just so much stuff that it's hard for me to fully grasp and appreciate when it happens. I mean, sometimes even one of my favorite aspects of Facebook is the, you know, memories a year ago today, two years ago today, five years ago today, because those photos and those things will pop up. And it's really an amazing thing, particularly as I look at my girls who are, you know, again, now 12 and almost 10, it's like the pictures that pop up when they're five and six and seven, it's like, oh my gosh, so much has changed, which of course I'm aware of, but I don't see on a daily basis. That's special. That's very cool. I yeah. love that. Going from love, let's transition. What's your greatest fear? Hmm. I think there's a fear that I have. There's two things that pop in right when you ask that question. There's a fear that I have about death with respect to being a father. Um, 
the the fear of death has always been there for me in different ways and it sort of ebbed and flowed throughout the course of my life but i think now as a husband and as a father there's a way in which um i don't find myself paranoid about it but i think about it in this way that i really want to live a long and healthy life for a number of reasons but one of the primary ones is to be around um and available for my girls for as long as possible um and with that the the interesting fear that also couples that for me is that i have a fear of um missing things not like missing out but missing the important moments of life to, to what you said your dad said to you many years ago of sitting in the chair and not feeling like you don't have to do anything like that's something that I struggle with in my own life is I'm passionate about the work that I do and I really love it and at times I have to manage the tendency I have to constantly be doing things and moving around and traveling and going places because there's so much passion for the work that I don't want to miss out on the most important things in my life. I was at a conference in Las Vegas a week or so ago speaking and the head of sales for this organization that he got up to say that he was driving his daughter to college a number of years ago and she's in her thirties now. And she turned to him at one point in the conversation in the car and said, Hey dad, how come you didn't come to very many of my tennis matches? And he said, you know, she could have punched me in the face and it would have felt better than hearing that. <laughs> right. But he was basically saying to everybody like, look, I, I want you all to work hard and produce results, of course, but like, I want you to value your time and your family and like, don't miss tennis matches is what he was saying. Like learn from some of the mistakes I made when I was younger that I was so focused on producing results that I missed important things. So, so I struggle with that and, and I, and that comes up for me as a fear, um, at times about, am I, am I focused in the right direction? Am I there and present? with my wife and my girls in the way that I want to. And I don't know. I mean, I, I reflect on it. Sometimes I feel really proud and sometimes I feel like I'm missing the mark and I try to readjust as best as I can. I think the ability to know that it's something to pay attention to is most likely a good step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's better than so. not even acknowledging and be like, yeah, yes. yeah, they'll get it when they get older. <laughs> um, so it sounds like a step in this, the right direction. Right. Speaking right. of older, speaking of the future, what's something you're really excited about for your future? I'm excited about um, I'm excited about the the energy and attention that we've been putting into um, giving, and it's one of the things that excites me the most that being at this place in life personally and, and financially, we're blessed to be able to, um, to give some of our money away. And I'm excited about being able to do that in an even more significant way as we move forward. It's one of the things that really drives me. And when I even struggle with my own ego stuff about success and achievement, and it comes back to, well, wait, there's, there's something more here that is really driving that. Um, so I get excited about some of the ideas and, and projects and things that we want to be able to put our time and energy and money into. Very cool. What are some of the projects that you're most excited about in that, that category? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a number of different organizations that are doing work in developing countries <clears throat> around, particularly around clean water 
and that for my wife and I over the last couple of years, we went to a conference a few years back at the United Nations and we saw Scott Harrison from Charity Water speak and had no idea. We were just oblivious like a lot of people that this is such a epidemic in the world that so many people don't have access to clean drinking water and it's a solvable problem. And, you know, so the, the money and the awareness that we can put in that direction and help create for people to donate to organizations like Charity Water and others has been really exciting for us. And again, it's one of these things where it's like so basic and so fundamental and something that so many of us in certain parts of the world, like where you and I live, we take for granted, but can make a humongous difference because the other aspect of that that we're really passionate about is also supporting the education, particularly of girls in the developing world and the water crisis and access to education or lack thereof for young girls in developing countries are directly related because a lot of the girls can't go to school because they have to spend their time walking literally miles every day to go get water that's not even clean and safe and healthy, but they need people need it or else they die. So those two things are really directly connected and we'd love to see, you know, the needle continue to move in a positive direction on those things. That's awesome. It's a game changer. I used to live yep. in a village in Uganda. Uh, yeah, I was teaching you know. organic farming and I used to have to walk a quarter mile to get to a well that we'd pump water out of to then carry all that water back home, uh, which yeah. I saw as exercise. So I was I was down <laughs> to do my best strongman interpretation. I, I had two uh, jerry cans full of water, one in each hand as I did the water walk all the way back. Going, ah! They would laugh at me because the kids used bicycles. They were much smarter than I was. Uh, but I would drag it all the way back and then we'd have to boil it you know, one pot at a time just to have the ability to have some type of sanitary water. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, for real, I mean, yeah, more than just it's an experience. Yeah. I, <laughs> I only had three months worth of it, but it was an experience. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that you'll never look at a drinking fountain the same way at any part of the world where it's clean and healthy to drink. Yeah. Um, you know, I was pissed at homeless people for a while. I'm like, you don't understand. You have yeah. parks with water fountains. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that that being mad at people who are struggling doesn't help anybody. No, <laughs> but, no, but eventually yeah. it wore off, and I was like, well, you know, that's the struggle here. The struggle there is is much more intense, and and yeah. like you said, having the privilege to be able to help and having the space to help is is amazing. It's an amazing yeah. opportunity, and and it feels amazing on both ends to give and receive, and yeah. and knowing that you're you're providing something that seems, like you said, growing up here in the U.S. that everyone has access to. I mean, right. even as a kid, we had the hose. Like, yeah. you don't realize there are no hoses on parts of the world. Like, there are no spigots where water magically comes out from the city. Like, it doesn't work that way. You got to walk, right. like you said, miles to yeah. go find one well that hopefully you can pump it out. And then you got to drag it back and boil it just to have the opportunity. Once it cools, hopefully a bug didn't land in it that can contaminate it to finally have a sip of water. Yeah. Um, so to provide those wells are literally a game changer. It's, yeah. it's an amazing. Great project. Yeah. So we're going to switch gears. We're, we're going to jump into the second half of the show, which is called Nuts and Bolts. Um, mm -hmm. And, and there, there's three major questions here. But the first is, what do you focus the majority of your thoughts and time and life on each day as of right now? <laughs> oh, a lot of things. <laughs> um, I focus... Um, the vast majority of my time and thoughts and focus on connection and impact. Like how can I connect more deeply with the people around me, with the people I work with, um, and 
how can I have the greatest impact? Um, and those are two questions and inquiries I find myself in all the time. Um, you know, both in a practical sense in terms of it, it guides a lot of what I do, but also in constantly looking more deeply at how can I do that more authentically, more effectively with more depth and more authenticity. Very nice. And what would you say is a key to your success in all of that? I think um, one of the keys to the success in my life at this point and, and in the past is um, having an enormous amount of support around me. Um, I've been really blessed. I mean, even with some of the support that didn't exist in my family, um, I've just been really fortunate to have a lot of mentors and friends and support structures and coaches and counselors and like people that show up and have shown up. Um, I think I've, I've done a lot of seeking it out, um, and been willing to ask for it. And then also just been really fortunate that, you know, I mean, I think, I think for a lot of us, again, back to the theme of sort of living here in the U S it's like, you know, winning the genetic lottery to be born in certain places in the world. If any of us happen to be privileged enough to do that, to realize, wow, there's so much abundance and resource here, <laughs> right? If we're paying attention to it in that way. So I think that's helped me in a lot of ways. Interesting. I've heard it said the opposite as well, um, yep. which, which I agree with you. I was like, wow, to be born in a place that has access to so much is amazing. Even if you're yep. in the toughest part of town in the worst situation. Yeah there's still a library. Like I remember opening a book in Uganda and highlighting a page and the kids were like, <gasps> because there is only one book in the village right. of that. Right. Kind. Like there's not one copy of it. There's literally just one and you can't yeah. write in it because everyone has to use it in that specific right. village. And, and that was a very right. small rural farming village, but that's the case. And, yeah. and you know, to have a library that has multiple copies of certain volumes of books is like a game changer. Or nowadays yeah. to have the internet. I mean, I you know. can Google anything. It's amazing. Blows yeah. my mind. I mean, I yeah. can't imagine what school would be like nowadays if you could ask Siri. Uh, <laughs> right. I know. You, you probably get Siri kicked out of class if you just ask Siri <laughs> an answer for the test for everybody to know. But right. it, it's still one of those things where you're like, wow, I, that's that, that wasn't even a thought way back then. Like, that's amazing yeah. what's available nowadays. Yeah. Um, and and the other the other piece is, you know, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk or one of these guys who who grew up outside of the country and moved to the U.S. And mm. they said one of their biggest competitive advantages was not being born here because when they finally arrived here, they realized how much was available. Like they yeah. could see things that most people were taking for granted and go, oh, my gosh, dang it. If I would have had that as a kid, I could freaking crush you or do 10 times as much or, or right. give a hundred times more than anybody else. And and now that they're here and they see it, they watch all these people walk by it every day without realizing it. And they fully grab on and take that thing to the moon and back. Well, there probably is some truth to both. I mean, I think again, if you grow up in a place where there's so much lack of resource, it's so difficult and challenging to do even things we would consider here really basic, you know, that's going to pose some challenge. But I think growing up here with all the resource and abundance, we can get to the point where we are spoiled and we take it for granted and we don't even notice it. I mean, I even just think of this in a practical sense in some of the work that I do in the corporate world. It's like, you know, Google's been a client for a number of years. And it's funny when I interact with people at Google, it's like there's a difference between the 
Googler, as they call themselves, who it's their first job out of college mm -hmm. versus the person who's worked a few other places and then now works at Google. And usually, again, this is a bit of a stereotype, if you will, but the, 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 the kid who comes right out of college and gets their first job at Google, they may enjoy it and appreciate it, but they don't fully understand how incredible the culture is and the environment is and the workspace is and all the benefits and all of the added bonuses that come on top of the free food and the, you know, workout room and the place and the this and the, you know what I mean? And so what happens is it's hard to fully appreciate if that's all you know. And for the person who comes in and, you know, they're in their mid thirties and they've worked three other places and they're, first of all, they appreciate it incredibly, but they also sometimes get annoyed with some of their you know, colleagues who are a little younger and right out of college, they, they have no idea how good they have it, right? And it's this funny conversation back and forth. And sometimes when I've worked with teams and groups there, just as using this as, as an example, it's like, well, look, there's value in both. Because I think, again, if that's your first experience, it raises the bar and the expectation for, hey, this is possible. This is what you can do. And with all this abundance and opportunity, how could you create success with that? And if you come from somewhere else and come into a really abundant, vibrant environment, you can fully appreciate it and maybe leverage certain aspects of it in, in particular ways that can be useful and beneficial. So much of it has to do with our mindset and approach to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also the contrast you talked about, knowing the difference, being somewhere yes. else where it didn't exist and now seeing that it does. Or, yep. I mean, that could even happen. You grow up with it, you go somewhere without it, you come back and go, dang. I mean, it happened to me with two things light switches and toilets <laughs> as simple as that sounds as a kid i probably didn't value those as much as after three months of living in a village in uganda with no running water no electricity and no toilets i stood in the hallway just flipping the light switch on and off for a good 20 minutes one day my I mom bet. definitely was worried about me <laughs> i was like this thing's amazing look at this it works every time <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. i just stared in the bathroom for a while i'm like that is the greatest invention Man, yeah. Oh my gosh! It, it, again, she she was worried for a while, but it wore off. Uh, but mm. I, I think I still value it, it. It it amazes me. Little things make such a difference <laughs> depending yeah. on where you are. Yeah. Um, okay. Our final question: What is one actionable tip that can help others achieve the kind of success that you've achieved in your life and your journey? Mm. Gosh, there's a number of things. But the thing that just popped into my head when you asked that question is ask for help. Hmm. You know, I love the, the saying, you know, the answer is always no if you don't ask. And I think that I think of that this in my own life. I see places where I've asked for help and gotten it. Uh, there's obviously been places where I've asked for help and not gotten it. And then there's been a number of places where I haven't asked for help because I was too scared or too stubborn or too worried or did whatever, fill in the blank. And so much of my own path has been accelerated by when I've been able to and willing to ask for help because more often than not, the help is offered and sometimes even more abundantly and generously than I expect it to be. And there's so many people around us and in the world who want to help and have resources and time and wisdom and insight and love and support to offer and we're often unwilling or unable to ask. So just that simple act of practicing that and then learning how to be okay even when people say no because it's not the end of the world. I love that. I love that and it's so true. 
the ability to ask for help. Um, it becomes a game changer and it, mm. it becomes the ability where it teaches us to be slightly vulnerable, which is mm-hmm. uncomfortable for, yep. for some people. Uh, but it teaches us to get into that place. Like you said, if you don't ask, the answer is already no. So you might as well mm. ask. And the worst you can get is a no. And then you've just confirmed what already was. Uh, right. The best case scenario, someone steps up to the plate and they find a way to, or they have the space or time or, or ability to help and assist. And all of a sudden, you know, a whole new world opens up to you in that moment because you, you can now access experience and knowledge and, and life that you didn't have access to before. That's beautiful. I love that tip. Yeah. Well, sir, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're tuning in and you want to know more about Mike and what he does in the speaking and training and coaching world, go to the show notes of this episode. We'll have all the links in his professional bio so you can get to know more about him and what he does. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for, for giving and supporting this community. And thank you for uh, you know just pouring out all the different experiences in life you've, you've had here and, and really making a valuable contribution to everything we're up to. Mm, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's my honor. Of course. And for everyone who's listening, if you like this episode, make sure to share it. We believe that sharing is caring around here and we like caring people. So make sure to share. And, and we look forward very much to seeing you next episode. Thank you.